Now, as you know, last week we began uh, the book of the Gospel of John. And I, I began to give you, uh, you know, an introduction into the book that laid out, you know, a lot of material. I, I've told you many, many times, and I know I said this last week, that when you want to study a book of the Bible, you need to gather as much resource material about that book at really get into the book itself. And, uh, you know, and I, I did that because I want, I want to help us to understand and comprehend, you know, this great book. And you remember, I did a number of things. First thing I did was I, I gave you, uh, again, I, I went over the layout between the Old Testament and the New Testament and showed you the, the two definitive books for the, that, the Bible. Genesis is the Old Testament and the book of Acts is the New Testament. Everything in the Bible is built around those two. Everything in the Old Testament around Genesis, everything in the New Testament around the book of Acts. Then we talked about the context of John, and I showed you the four accounts of each gospel, how that they portray Christ. And then I ran it back to uh, the four branches in the Old Testament that actually match up to the, uh, uh, to the four gospels. And then I, I talked about the theme of John. And I gave you the definitive verse was in John chapter 20, verse 31, and showed you how that the gospel was written uh, for men to uh, get saved, and how that the key word is the word believe. Then we saw the great aspect of, of the five wisdom books in the Old Testament, and then John writing the five wisdom books in the New Testament, and how uh, what a great aspect that is, showing you know, us, uh, really what we should be. We should have the wisdom of the Old Testament, but we also should have the wisdom of the New Testament. And when the two come together and work together, you know, it's a, it's a, great, uh, it's a great thing and for all of us in, in putting our Bible together. Well, we talked about defining the word beginning, you know, also in Genesis 1-1 and also in John, in the beginning was the Word. And that's such a misunderstood word today. But it's easily defined for us. When you go back to Proverbs chapter 8, which we did, and uh, we know now that it's not the beginning of God or the beginning of time or the beginning of anything in that sense, but it's the beginning of God's way, the way that He is going to go down through history from that point on. And as I said, it changes one little thing like that can change the entirety of how you look at everything in the Bible. And then I gave you the outline of the Gospel of John, and that's how it is built around four Passovers and bringing Christ to be the sacrificial Passover uh, on the last one. Then we talked about the author of the book. And, you know, I can't, I never get tired talking about John, you know, uh, the author of the book. John is the greatest example uh, and picture of what we should be. You know, our relationship to Christ, how through our relationship with Christ we hear the heartbeat of God. He's such an incredible picture of what our life should be. If you want a measuring stick of where you're at compared to where you should be, boy, he, he's the guy. And, uh, and, 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 and how we should have a complete understanding through our relationship, you know, uh, of all that God is doing and the wisdom from the five books, wisdom books in the Old Testament to the five in the New Testament. And for you and for me, John represents what we should have. 
<laughs> and you know as well as I do that most of God's people never get here. But it's something that most of you here today are in pursuit of. And at some point, you'll get, I say you'll get it, you'll get as much of it as you can uh, humanly possible. And that is the complete understanding of God's way. Being able to look at every circumstance in life, every situation in life. This is why the Bible says, perfect love casteth out fear. I don't care what comes in our world. I don't care what befalls us. You don't have to be afraid of it if you understand the concept of the perfection of God's love in your life and that giving you the understanding and you understand God's way. And, you know, John writes the last of the New Testament's books. And I told you this, and, and Tony asked this question Thursday night in Bible study, and it was a great question. It really helped me develop even more of our understanding of the Gospel of John, which I certainly appreciate. And that is that how John is the last writer. When he writes his five books, he's up into 90 A.D. You know, he's up 30, 40 years into the church age. Uh, he's up 60 years from when Christ shows up. And he is, he's 90 years from when Christ was born. And he is absolutely a picture of what you and I should be. Being able to look at everything in life and see it, and more importantly, understand it from God's viewpoint and in, in, in the Word of God. And today, we want to pick it up uh, in verses 4 and 5. And uh, just so you know here, I, I didn't give you this last week, <clears throat> Uh, chapter 1 in the first 14 verses is basically its own introduction. I know I gave you an intro last week, but in the book itself, uh, verses 1 through 14 or so is all an intro into the book before we get into Christ's life and ministry. And it basically takes some time to define who he is so you and I will believe uh, on the Son of God. So I, what I'm going to do to keep the consistency, I want to read what I preached to you last week and then come right on through to the two verses we want to look at today. And here's what he says. <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now here comes our verses today. In him was life, and the life, and, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Father, help us today to uh, glean everything out of here we can. Forgive us where we failed thee. Forgive us, Lord. Put us under the blood today. Uh, allow nothing in our lives to stop what God has for us today. And I pray, Father, not only for the folks here, but I pray for the folks that are home legitimately today because they can't be here. And Lord, uh, how they're on my heart today and how that I want to give them everything that they need to give them the best chance uh, they can. And so I pray, Father, that you'll help us today uh, get into the Word of God. May it be a blessing to those that are here, to those that are tuned in, and to those that are around the country or around the world. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for his sake we ask it. Amen. Now, last week we saw the eternal state of God 
uh, as Christ and, of course, as the Word of God. And I talked to you how you cannot separate them. They have to stay together because they are one. And we know that in the Bible uh, that there are two Christs. We know that. There's the Lord's Christ, and then there's the Antichrist. And both of them have two areas of work, God and the devil. And, you know, this is where our real spiritual warfare uh, lies uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. Where God will separate you from the world first through salvation. And then he will add things into your life from the word of God as you grow. The devil will add things to your life first. And then in time, because of all the things that he gives you, he will completely separate you from uh, God and his word. And that's the fundamentally the way that it works. And, uh, you know, it, it's always amazed me because, hey, I, I'm sorry. I, I guess I expect more of God's people than probably I should. And I always tell people, you know, you've been saved five years or, or less. I'll give you a free pass. But if you've been saved five, six, seven, eight, nine years, it's always been amazing to me how God's people are so, uh, so out of touch with everything that God is actually doing. And I've seen people who were saved for, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. I mean, they fall for the stupid tricks that the devil puts in front of them. They let fear rule their life and rule their day. And, you know, it's a thing where it's, un it's always been amazing to me. We have on our wall back there a little saying, you know, that you can't fix stupid. And, you know, somebody, and I don't know who it did, printed that off. We need to get that made into a nice little plaque uh, because um, I like what it says. It's an add-on, and it says duct tape can't fix stupid, but it can muffle the sound. And, you know, that is so true. But it's a thing where, you know, it, it's just always amazed me how God's people, who ought to be better than who they are, they ought to be better than what they're feeling this morning. They ought to be better than the fear that rules them through everything in life. And it's always been amazing amazement to me that we claim to have the Word of God. We claim to be saved, and we probably all, all are. Why does not it work? Why does it only work when everything is going good? Why does it only work when you get your own way? Why does it only work when the sun shines out and as, you know, and as John Wayne once said in his great movie, Sands of Iwo Jima, into everybody's life, a little rain might fall. It's going to rain in your life. It's going to rain in your parade. It's going to rain to the point where some days it's not going to be bright and shiny. You know, it's so true that people who are not saved, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, it's, but it's true of God's people, too. They, they tell us that there are people out there who their depression is worse on cloudy days than it is on days of sunshine. And I know that's to be true because, you know, that's just the way human nature is. And you'll find people who get up that are, don't have God, they don't have the Bible, and they'll pull back the drapes and the sun is shining and they'll feel great. Then you'll find peep, that same person will get up and it's raining and gloomy outside and it adds to their feeling of depression. 
and back to bed they go. I get that. But you know, as a child of God, the sunshine should be out in our life every day of our life. It's a thing where the principles of the Word of God will get us through everything. I understand why the world is the way that it is. I've never understood, and I probably never will, why God's people are that way. Why we allow the circumstances of life to control what we do for God. And it, it, it's just always be, been an enigma to me. And uh, now let's pick it up in verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, the Bible tells us, and I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know, the Bible tells us that this old world is darkness. There's no light in it. And being in darkness, we are easily fooled and tripped up in life, and then swaddled up by life, the world, and the normal man will wind up in hell, or, or if he's a saved person, he'll just lose everything they have at the judgment seat of Christ. So God's way from the beginning was to bring into a dark world a light. And that light was the Son of God that later on gets manifested into the Word of God that you and I have a light in a dark place. In our study of the book of Proverbs, we saw and I deed three key words. We saw the word knowledge and defined that. We saw the word wisdom and defined that. And then we saw the word understanding and we defined that. And now we should have a thorough grasp of each one of those and how they will work in our lives. In the Bible, understanding will be the illumination of any subject. It'll be the illumination of any situation. And yes, it'll be the illumination of any person that you will run into in your life. It may take a little time. It may not be apparent the first time you see it. Sometimes it will be. Or somebody you meet. Sometimes it will be. But in time, the light of the Word of God, understanding... It'll be the truth of anything in life through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit of God. And truth will always put light on any subject. We can claim whatever we want to be. We can build our false wall of Christianity in our lives. But it's the Word of God that knocks down those walls. And it shows us and exposes us for where we are really at. And of course, we get this understanding through the principles of the Word of God. This is why, for the last, what, 10 years, I've put everything I can into you to teach you biblical principles. And that's why, just so you understand, this is why the number one thing, look at it in your own life. Look at it in the people that you have worked with or have dealt with. This is why the number one thing that people do when they get out of fellowship is they want to turn off the lights. Because the light irritates them now. And you know it's true. You know you've started to work with people and disciple them and about halfway through, they wanted to turn the lights off. When you get saved and you begin the process of becoming God's man or woman, 
there's some things that we're all going to have to change. And many times we don't want to change that. We say we do at the beginning, but as time goes on, when that light starts to get in every crack and crevice of your world, you want the lights to go out. And you will find at that point, you will find every excuse to get out of the light because it will expose you. And this is why people don't like preaching. This is why people, you find some people who love the Word of God, they'll come for what, six months, a year, two years? But when the light begins to be personified down to something in their life, they finally find a problem with the light. I mean, it's just that simple. And, uh, you know, you, you'll now find that they'll come up with every excuse to get out of the light. And we are told the principle of truth in John chapter 3, verse 19. Here it is. Here's the fundamental problem. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And I'm telling you. Now, verse 4 says this light was the light of men. It's the true light. And there are two applications to this life in a man's life that I want you to see and understand when you leave here today. One will be an application of the light to an unsaved man. The other one will be an application of light to a saved man. And we both get these in either case, through the illumination of the Word of God by the Holy Spirit. Now, let's, let's look at them. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. You should be. But John chapter 16, staying in the book of John, but John chapter 16, 16 chapters later. And I feel safe of laying this out for you today because it's in chapter 16. Uh, by the time we get to chapter 16, we'll probably be 20, 30 years from now, and you'll have forgotten all this, and I can teach it again. So I'm, I'm feeling really good about that today. In John chapter 16, verses 7 through 12, uh, all the way through that chapter, you had, it's God's definitive chapter on the work of the Holy Spirit of God in a man's life that is unsaved. Verses 7 through 12 is a picture of what the Holy Spirit of God does, his work in an unsaved man, unsaved woman's life that has not the light of God in her life. Now, I want to read it for you. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And he does that in the early part of the book of Acts. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of judgment and righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judged I have yet many things to say unto you but ye cannot bear them now now this section is clearly for an unsaved man and it shows us when the bible says that he's the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world this verse passage here shows us how the Holy Spirit of God will work in an unsaved man or woman's life. 
three things that when a person is unsaved, the Holy Spirit of God reproves them of. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, okay, let's look at each one of them. He says that he reproves the world of sin. That will be God's life showing me the world in darkness and that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. When he reproves the world of sin, he's showing me that I am a sinner, lost without hope, without Christ, damned and doomed to an eternal lake of fire, already in the lake of fire in God's mind. And as Romans chapter 7 says, that great chapter where Paul talks about his own self, he says in verse 13 that when a man gets saved, he can only get saved because his sin becomes exceedingly sinful. He sees himself as a sinner. And that is the reprove the world of sin, showing me that I'm lost without hope without Christ and I need a Savior. Now, the second thing, reprove the world of righteousness. Now, that, now, that's the light an unsaved man gets to put him up against a perfect man because the only one that is God's righteousness is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a man realizes he's a sinner, the next thing he sees is a perfect man that he can never stand up to. And he sees that man as God's righteousness. And he realizes that is the only man that can take away his sin and make him righteous. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And peace with God in the book of Romans is always salvation. You have two phrases, peace of God, peace with God. You'll find when a phrase is found, peace of God. Uh, uh, peace uh, with God, it's salvation. When you find the phrase peace of God, it's after you're saved. You can't have the peace of God till you first make peace with God. Jesus Christ, God's righteousness. And uh, it's, a, it's a picture. Ephesians 4.13 talks about that he's a perfect man. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, that he was tempted on all points like us, yet without sin. So when he talks about reprove the world of righteousness, he gets me first to know that I'm a sinner, then he puts me up against a man that is perfect and shows me that I'll never measure up. Then he says the third thing, reprove the world of judgment. That'll be the great white throne judgment. That's hell in the lake of fire, God's final judgment for sin. Once he shows me I'm a sinner, once he shows me that I am up against a man that I can never get around, Then he shows me where I'm headed. And someday if I don't make a choice and get out of the life that I'm in, out of the darkness into the light, I'm going to wind up eternally in the lake of fire. And Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. That's the man. 
So when the Holy Spirit of God comes into an unsaved man's world, he reproves him of sin, he reproves him of righteousness, and he reproves him of judgment of God. Now, God will give an unsaved man or an unsaved woman just enough light to see his true condition. He's just going to give him enough light to allow him to see that he needs a Savior in these three areas. And he's going to give him enough light to see that he's lost without hope, he's lost without Christ, and he's in a dark world. And he's up against a perfect man that he'll never be able to overcome, but he has to become one with. And if he doesn't, then he's going to wind up in a lake of fire. Now, the second thing here, this will be for a saved man. Then we have a uh, have, the, uh, have the light as it affects a man who, who gets saved. This will be the Holy Spirit of God. So one, the first part shows you how the Holy Spirit of God deals with an unsaved man. Second part shows you how it deals with a saved man. Psalms 119, verse 130. You don't have to turn to it, but you'll want to write it down and look it up later. The entrance of thy word giveth light. And then it says, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Now, simply he's saying this in a very basic bottom line way. When you get saved the lights get turned on, or they should. And the more after you're saved you get into the book, the brighter that light will shine. We saw this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, where it talks about, as we sing a little song to our kids, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And it says, don't hide that light under a bushel. There's a lot of that going on today. You put that light on a candlestick. The Holy Spirit of God in the tabernacle with seven-pronged candlesticks. In the book of Revelation chapter 1, there's a candlestick for every church that represents the Holy Spirit of God. You don't hide the light that God gave you because you're scared to death under a bushel. You put it on a candlestick where everybody can see it. And if there's ever a time that the world needs to see the light, it's the time that we live in. I think of this little podunk church meeting in the basement of a warehouse. A lot of people, I've seen them come down here, you know, and look around this place like, is this, how could this be a church? Because in your mind, you think a church is Notre Dame, which God burned down last year just for you. Uh, you, think of, you think of some of those big churches out there that you see sprawled out miles before you get there. And of course, uh, you know, and that's your concept. But I'm going to tell you something. The context of the, what makes a church is not the building. It's you sitting here this morning. You're the church. And if the church fails, it won't fail because the building falls down. It'll fail because you failed to get involved and get in part of it and let your light shine. And I'm telling you something. He says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, a city that is on a hill cannot be hid. Because so many people in this church here today have got the lights turned on. People all around this world see the light. And this little podunk church that's in the middle of a basement that used to be a, a car museum 
used to be a a strip little mall where you had a little booth where you went in and bought your little trinkets. Probably bought you some marijuana underneath the table. This little podunk building down here that when we got it, it was warehoused out and most of you weren't here then, but some of you remember how it was stacked to the ceiling. The ceiling goes higher than this with all kinds of stuff. We had to haul all that stuff out of here. But what makes this place special is not the walls or my chart over here or what we have. What makes this place real and special is the people that are here today. And your lights being turned on is what God takes this little podunk church and lets people in Germany, people in the Netherlands, people in Africa, people in England, people in Maryland, people in Washington, people all around this country and world. Why? Because of you. Certainly not because of me. It's because of all of us together letting our light shine. And I'm going to tell you, you know what's wrong with God's people today? There's been a power failure in their life. Today we have one of the greatest opportunities to reach people. I learned many, many, many years ago that when a disaster befalls a country, when something comes in that scares people, when something comes into a culture that rattles that culture, people at that point in time, unsaved people, are scared to death. And it it gives us an opportunity because they're looking for something because they're unstable, they're looking for stability. And may I just be preach the obvious? We're supposed to be stable. We're supposed to be the ones that they look to. When the world's upside down, you stand right side up. But the problem today is that God's people, for the most part, are just as scared as the unsaved people. And you know what? It's a tragedy today. Now, Psalms 119, 105, another great verse, says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want a good devotion you can use at softball or volleyball, even though we'll probably never play them again. (laughs) But you want a really good study for yourself, I'll tell you. When you look at the Word of God as light, that the answer to thy word giveth light, or thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and you look at the Word of God as a lamp that gives light, you'll find that the Word of God is likened for you and for me in five lights. You want to get through this coronavirus stuff? You want to you want to you want to face it and respect it, but at the same time realize that you know uh, I guarantee you, if the coronavirus would have hit in 33 A.D. on the day he was crucified, he probably still went went to the cross. And we don't have the option. We're facing a time when the world needs the light that we have. Five lights. I love the expression, you know. Where's, what's wrong with so-and-so? Well, 
the lights are on, but nobody's home. That is so many of God's people. You're saved, the lights are on, you just ain't home. I'm not sure where you're at. Do you even know where you're at? Well, the first light that the Word of God is likened to, is, or lamp, is a reading lamp. Luke chapter 24, verse 45 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and it simply says this, Then he opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And I want to tell you something. If God doesn't give you the light to understand of the Bible, your education isn't going to help you one bit. Your simulating, shining personality isn't going to help you at all. Your IQ of 180 or 190 isn't going to do one thing for you because when it comes to the Word of God, if the Holy Spirit of God is not your reading lamp that opens up the Scriptures for you, you're in trouble. And you see, as you read, the Holy Spirit of God will guide you and illuminate what you read. Most of you can identify with this when you go to bed at night. Hopefully you maybe read your Bible. I had a person tell me one time, well, I used to do that, but then I felt so guilty because I start reading my Bible, then I just fall asleep. That is the greatest thing you can ever do. I mean, according to Job chapter 33, verses 15 and 16, that's what you ought to be doing. You ought to sit there in bed and lay there in bed and you open up that thing and you start to read some passage and before you get halfway through it, you're gone. Now that's the way to go to sleep. People say, well, I can't sleep. I try to count in sheep. That's the wrong thing. You don't want to ever count sheep to go to sleep. You just want to talk to the shepherd. He'll get you to sleep. And you know, as you do that reading, you got a little bed light on the little nightstand. Or sometimes they make them now where you can fix them to the head bed of your, your, your bed and it shines down in your... But you've got some little light that you're reading because otherwise, if you're married, your spouse will say, turn that light off! You know, you can't leave the big lights on. So you get you a little light that, that, that shines down on the thing and you just see what you're reading. Now that's exactly what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do when you read the Word. He wants to illuminate, illuminate for nobody else but just for you what you're reading. He wants to lift out those verses. He wants to lift out those words. He wants to lift out everything that he's given you that you can see. And it's, it's spiritually the Holy Spirit of God shedding light on what you're reading. Because the Word of God is a reading lamp. My two prayers in the Bible are very simple. One of them is in Luke chapter 24, verse 45. The other one is Revelation 22, 20. As I was a young man growing up, uh, Luke chapter 24 to 45 was the prayer of my, every time before I got into my Bible. I also realized that Psalms 119 was the key to learning the Bible, so I put me a prayer together uh, out of Psalm 119. I never got into the Bible to read it or study it before I prayed those two prayers. And it worked for me. Both people just jump into the Bible, open it up, and give God the privilege of 30 seconds. You get your daily bread or your little verse that somebody sent you or you got, and that's all the farther you take it. And of course, uh, that's not what you do. But you get out of the Bible only what you're willing to put into it. 
And that will determine whether today you're under the rock or you're in the rock. My second prayer, Revelation 22, verse 20, was even so come, Lord Je- come quickly, Lord Jesus. Two things. Teach me the Bible and get me out of here. The rest will take care of itself. Then the second lamp is a heat lamp. Bible warms my heart in a cold and desolate world of cold and darkness. The warmth of God's love. You know, most of us sitting here today have a vitamin deficiency. We, we don't get all the vitamins that we need. Probably most of you, maybe not you younger kids because you're, you're too, haven't figured it out yet. But us older people, we're on vitamins. I'm on vitamins for people over 60. And, uh, you know, they're multivitamins. They have all the different things that you needed. But even that doesn't do it for you. I take vitamin C every day. You say, does that help you? No, I like that because when I was in high school, that's the only high grade I could ever get. So I just think it kind of gives me a nostalgia mindset a little bit here. And I, you know, but it's, you know, when you're in the Navy and you're on a submarine under the water for two or three months at a time, you get, you get a deficiency. So they have, everybody gets a day, a daily allotment or maybe a couple times a week of a big ultraviolet sunlight, sun lamp. And they put you under that, and you stay there for 20 minutes, a half an hour, whatever, and it, that lamp puts back in what you're not getting from the sun. And it, 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 that's what they do. I saw this last week that, that vitamin D, as in David, as in dog, vitamin D is one of the best prohibitives of the coronavirus because it affects your immune system. And uh, we're all short on vitamin D. And I was listening to that. The guy said, you know, you can get supplements of vitamin D and all that. But you know what he said? I'm sitting there watching. This is an unsaved man. He said the best source of vitamin D is the sun. And I said to myself, amen. Because the best source of you fighting off anything in this world, whether it be the coronavirus or whether it be the the world system or whether it be all the problems that are going to come your way will be sunlight, the sun. In Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 6, the Holy Spirit of God is defined for you as heat. Then the third light will be a safety lamp. The world is a dark place set with pitfalls, snares, deadfalls, traps, all set by the devil to stop you and me and to destroy us and your ministry, or your marriage, or your family. Uh, it's, a, it's a minefield. In the Vietnam War, the Viet Cong were famous for setting up pitfalls. You, out on patrol, you never walked on the trails. It may have been ten times harder cutting your way through the jungle, but it was a lot safer because they had the trails booby-trapped with everything that you can imagine. From the punji stakes that were buried in the ground, coated with human excrement to ensure you get an infection, that when you stepped on it, it went down in there and six or seven sharp bamboo poles went up through your feet, right through your boots, impaled your feet. From them having a thing pulled back that when you hit a trip wire, it swung out and cut you in the chest and killed you that way. 
to the thing where you would walk along and there would be a, a, a wall of bamboo spikes covered by a mat and there would be a trip wire and you'd step in it. It would get both your feet and pull you up. It would open up and swing you right into it and kill you that way. I've often saw that and thought about those days and thought to myself, you know what? That's exactly what the devil does. And the, and the Viet Cong were good at hiding it. You couldn't tell it. And I'm telling you, the devil's good at hiding it. Uh, it's a minefield out there. You know, they didn't have what well, they did back in the Vietnam War. Uh, they had what they, they, they invented what they called a starlight scope. And a starlight scope back then was a first generation tube about that long that you looked into the night and it was very distorted and it wasn't very good at all. But you could actually, uh, it was starlight because it picked up the light from the stars and you could actually see in the night and see who's out there and whatever. It didn't work very good, but it worked good enough. Today, they have fourth and fifth generation. If you see the, our guys out there in, uh, in, in the military, they all got them up on their helmet. They're turned up. That means at night they can put them down. And the phrase is, when you fight whatever country, it was certainly through in special ops. The, the, the phrase is, we own the night. Because they didn't have it. And you could see them long before they seen you. And I say all that to say this. You have, as a Christian, you own the night. You have the illumination of the Word of God that is a safety lamp. God's light through the Word of God shows us all the devices the devil will use. And 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, you know, tells us that we are not to be ignorant of his devices. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5 says that we as a child of God, we're not children of the night, we're children of the day. You know why? Because we own the night. Or, or we should. Then it's a traveler's lamp. It shows me God's way in my life. Genesis 24, 27 takes on new meaning now. I being in the way the Lord led. The traveler's lamp shows me God's plan for my life. Philippians 1, 6, his good work that he began in me and wants to perform under the day of Jesus Christ. It shows me the difference between God's plan for my life and God's will for my life. Where he will take me. And how will he get me there? And of course, with understanding, we know three things. The Holy Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the local church. The Holy Spirit of God is your guide. The Word of God is your roadmap. And the local New Testament church is the vehicle that God is going to get you for. But when you quit coming to church, when you take that light out of your life, you just sold your car. Now you're not going anywhere. You know, I look at my journey from Canton, Ohio... In 1976, to Kansas City, Raytown, Missouri, to be exact, the Garden of Eden of the world. <laughs> I, I, I look at that journey for me, and how all of the way along, God illuminated through the traveler's lamp and gave me everything I need to get where I'm at. And you know, I've had some tough times in my life, as I'm sure you have. Everybody has, because in everybody's life, a little rain must fall. We've all had our tough times that we've had to go through things. And I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me. I don't care how bad it was. I don't care uh, where it was, when it was, or what I was up against. The traveler's lamp always got me through. And it'll get you through whatever you're facing. 
then it's, a, it's likened to a night lamp. My walk through the night of the church age, which is likened to a nighttime in the Bible. And hence, I've given you the phrase that I got from my father in the Lord, Mel Sabaka, when he used to say all the time, never doubt in the darkness what God has given you in the light. When John wrote the book of Revelation, the great capstone of the Bible, he was taken up and told to write, uh, taken up to the Lord's day, chapter 1, verse 10, and told to write in three tenses. He's told to write what has been, he's told to write what is, and he's told to write what shall be. He writes about past history, he writes by present day what's going on, and then he talks about future events. My life, my lamp, my night lamp of completely understanding the nighttime, the church age that I am living in. All the uncharted waters that we are facing right now today, all the uncertainty, all the fears that we should not have, all the things that keep us under the rock instead of being part of the rock, all because we failed, as John did not fail, to see and understand everything that's going on around us and where we fit in. Then, going back to, going back to John chapter 16, I showed you what, how it affects the unsaved man, then I gave you when the entrance of the word, which is light, comes into your life, the four lamp, five lamps that'll get you through. Now I'm going to take you back to John chapter 16, verses 13 and 15. And we're going to see the light and what it does for us as individuals once we get saved. Now watch this. Verse 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, he shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Now there's four things here. When the child of God, with the light of God, in his or her life, now we see four things that the light of God will does for you. We saw how it brought you to Christ. Now let me show you what it will do for you after you get saved. This is where we're all at in our life today. First of all, verse 13 says that he leads and guides you to all truth. Years ago, long before most of you were born, there was a soap opera called The Guiding Light. And, uh, you know, uh, it was a thing where many, many people got into soap operas back then. And, uh, but the truth is, the Bible is the only book of truth that is the guiding light for you and for me. There's nothing in this world that will guide you, and you'll see that in a moment. You know... Um, uh, years, you know, and this is why I tell you all the time, when it comes to your life and my life, no matter what it may be, 
you don't run things around the Bible, you write them, run them through the Bible. You allow the principles to define for you what you have. And I want you to notice this. It says that the Holy Spirit of God will lead you to all truth, not just some truth. Years ago, I debated a, uh, a, uh, a uh, counselor, therapist, doctor, psychiatrist, whatever, and he claimed to be a Christian. And he probably was. And we had a debate one time, and, and he said, you know, there's not a lot of difference between us. He says, you believe the Bible's the word of God? I do too. You're saved, so am I. We both go to church. So there's only a, a small thing that's a difference between us. And I said, well, doctor, what is that small thing? And he says, you believe that the Bible contains all truth. I believe that my profession and the world of psychiatry, that there are other truths outside the Bible. In other words, the Bible contained truth, but not all truth. Now, to him, that was a little thing. To me, if I was in the Old Testament, I'd have taken him out, dug a hole and put him in it. And we would all have thrown rocks down on his head. Sometimes it is nice to be back in the Old Testament. That is a big thing. Because I'm telling you right now, if that book isn't all truth, then we're in trouble. If you can't go to that book and everything and you're facing in life, no matter what it may be, it may be the coronavirus today or cancer tomorrow. It may be a heart attack. It may be, it may be losing your kids. It may be losing a mother or a father. It may be some catastrophe that comes into your life. If the Bible isn't the book of all truth that gets you through it, you need to go be a Mormon. He said all truth. If you want to find out what is really real in somebody's life, this is so simple, basic 101. I learned it 40 years ago. Just look at two things. First of all, look at the investment that they have made into the Word of God and what God has saved them for. Because if you have no investment, you'll never come back to church. And I will say this to you. The longer you stay away, the harder it's going to be for you to come back. Because you've got nothing invested. You're like the parsley on the side of the steak. You're not really part of the dinner. You're just there for show. And I am telling you right now, you can mark it down, like it, lump it, not like it, love it, or it doesn't matter to me. The longer you stay away, the harder it's going to be to get back. And many of God's people across this country are never going to get back. You know why? You got no investment. There's nobody here today depending on you to be here. There's no ministry that is, it, that if you left, it'd take two, two or three people to replace you. So when you have no real investment in anything, what's the point? And the second thing is, when the tough times come, how do you deal with it? That's true of the mark of a true person with the lights on. We got a job to do. I am sorry. I'm sorry that the world is an inconvenience to your little lifestyle. I'm sorry the world is an inconvenience and threatens some things in your little world. I'm really sorry about that. But you know what? We don't have a choice. And it's the light 
that will get you through those things. It's the truth. It's the understanding. But our Hebrews chapter 4 says that the Word of God discerns, discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now I'll show you the next thing, verse 14. The Holy Spirit of God through you will glorify Christ. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. John chapter 12, verse 32. And everything we do, the honor and glory goes to Christ. I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, and I don't really care if she does. I, I went up to Meredith this morning. Um, Meredith uh, Poole. What's her? Steward? Sterling. Sterling. Meredith Sterling, alias Meredith Poole. And she's a realtor. And she has done so much for people in this church that to help them with houses. I mean, she does. I mean, this girl is incredible. I mean, one people wanted to buy a house, didn't have the money, couldn't sell their house. She went over on a night and burned it down and they got the insurance money and bought the house. Now that's Meredith. I'm kidding. I was thanking her for doing that today. And she said to me, she says, it ain't nothing to do with me. It's the Lord. And I get that, and I understand that. But you know what? It's always the Lord. You know what the Lord's looking for? He's looking for somebody like you to work through. But I get it. If I be lifted up, I'll draw them in unto me. Exalt Christ. Lift Him up. Preach Him. Give the honor and glory back to Him. Our abilities, our education, our charm, our money, our statue, our position will have absolutely nothing to do with it. There's only one way to succeed, that is lower yourself and lift him up. But that's what the Holy Spirit of God does. He never takes credit for anything. He always gives it to God. And when the Holy Spirit of God is inside you, lighting you, then that's what you do. Now, the third thing that it does is shows you the future. What's coming our way. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 9 says, Behold, the former things are come to pass, history, and new things do I declare what's going forward. Before they spring forth, before they happen to you, I will tell you of them. Now, why didn't all of God's people get that verse in light of where we're at today? Why didn't all of God's people, when everything starts to fall apart, that ain't the first place you go? You know why? Because you had no idea the verse was even there. And what's even worse, you don't care. I preached a message a while back, a couple of weeks ago, about 2020, the year 2020. And I have told you that day, I have been telling you for years, and so has every other preacher, that this day that we're facing is coming. And God's people are unprepared. Now, if I might just for a moment consider the mess we are in in this country. Raging forest fires on the West Coast, destroying millions, millions, millions of acres, killing I don't know how many people, burning down whole towns. The whole West Coast is on fire. You come to the East Coast, we got 30 inches of rain. We just had the second tornado come off the Atlantic up there and devastate everybody again that just happened a couple of months ago. And you know what? 
They're pressuring three more out in the Atlantic that are coming that way. And we still got three months of hurricane season. You got raging fires. The West Coast is on fire. The East Coast is underwater. You got a pandemic ranging everywhere in between. Along with that, you got riots. You got, you got looting. You got burning down of buildings. You got people being shot. Every city is unbelievable. New York is 100% in a homicide rate. Chicago is off the charts. Kansas City is off the charts. And in California last week, some idiot legislator put forth a legislation to lessen the penalty of pedophiles. And you wonder what's wrong with this country? You can't see the judgment of God, God's hand in this country? Well, even a city commissioner in Johnson County, I never would have guessed it. I'd expect it from Raytown when they still drive around with rifles in the back of their pickup trucks. Not Johnson County. He took a lot of flock for it, but he come out, a commissioner over there come out and said that if you're in Johnson County, you need to buy a gun and ammunition because there's a war coming. And you can't see it. God's people are oblivious to it. You know why? You don't want to see it. You like that rock you're under. Why, you've carved out a little space under there that's quite comfortable by now. You don't want to get your world turned upside down. You don't want to be inconvenient. You don't want your job to be threatened. You don't want your social friends and social status. You don't want anything in your world that's going to upset your little private little millennium you got going on. Well, I'm telling you something, friend. It's here. And it's coming like a hungry giant coming home for lunch. And it's going to disrupt everything in this country. This country is on fire on one end, underwater on the other, and total anarchy everywhere in between. And we should be the light on the hill that in the midst of all that carnage, somebody looking for the truth can find it. Then lastly, verse 15. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore, saith I, that he shall talk of mine and shall show it unto you. You know what he's saying there? The last thing he's saying, that God not only going to do all these other things through the Holy Spirit of God, but he's going to show you what's really of God and what is really not of God. He'll show you through his word the light what is of God and what's not of God. Every decision you'll have to make, every circumstance you face, every person that you want to allow in your life, you now have the light of the word of God to say, yes, that's a good choice or no, that's not a good choice. It'll show you and me what is heresy versus what is truth because they're around, brother. It'll show you a real Christian versus a phony one. 
And it'll show you what is a weak Christian versus what is a strong one. Now, with all that light, uh, this is just a question. You don't have to answer it to me. With all that light, with all that available, if all that is true, why are God's people across Christianity so confused? Why are they so fearful? Why are they so anxious? Why are they so afraid? Why are they such a panic? Why do we allow the times that we live in to control our Christianity? I mean, I know we got to six feet apart and you got to wear a mask. What has that got to do with the light in you? And the answer to that, and let me draw you a picture here and connect the dots. The answer to that is simple. There's a power failure in God's people's lives today, and the lights have gone out. And if Jesus was the light of men and the life of men, and God's people today, in a spiritual sense, are on life support. Because it ain't working for us. It ain't working for us. We want to blame our lack of courage and strength and stability to get the job done in a world that has changed, that demands that we still get the job done. We want to find every excuse not to. Now, the reason is that you've crossed the white wire with the black wire. In basic being an electrician. In your house, every light that goes on comes down to separating the white line from the black line. And in your Christian life, you're doing a job simply depends on you being separated with the white, the light, from the black. And you know what happens in your house if you try to be a junior electrician? And you take the white wire, the power still on, and the black wire, the power still on, and you touch those two wires together, it blows every light out in your house. You cannot in your house, connect a negative with a positive and keep the lights on. And you cannot, in your Christian life, take the negative and the positive and try to put them together and keep your lights on. Now look at verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Ah, here's contrast. One of the greatest ways that God teaches us the Bible. Genesis 1-4, God divided the light from the darkness. You don't go three verses in your Bible as you find out what the fundamental problem is going to be in 2020. Light versus darkness. And every time, excuse me, in everything you will ever face, in the world, events, or in Christianity, we'll go right back to here. 
The Bible tells that, that the devil is a false light. He's an imitator of Christ, a counterfeit, a antichrist. And 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And then it says in verse 15, his ministers also. You know, I used to think that was the fallen angels until I started meeting some of the ministers out there. Now we know that Satan is also a light. Oh, I can hear from the peanut gallery. How can that be? He's darkness. How could Satan be dark and yet be a light? That's a good question. Again, don't let me ruin your day. Let's go back to the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. It says in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 6, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Ah, here it comes now. But if thine eye be evil, somebody give you the evil eye. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore, here it comes, the light that is in thee be darkness. Wow. How great is that darkness? There's a light that is darkness. Wow, what a, a light that is darkness. It masks the, tr- the true identity of things. It masks how they appear. If I was to give you a worldly understanding of it as an example, it would be what we use at Halloween a black light. And when you turn a black light on compared to a white light, the back black light masks things and you don't get to see it as it really is. Things don't appear the same way in a black light. The black light cuts down contrast. It cuts down detail. It's the world's light for your parties, for all the things that you do when you want things not exposed to the true light, but exposed to the world's black light. Jude, verse 13 says, Waging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars. We all see twinkle, twinkle little stars. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now there you go. Now that's a reference to the deep up there. In the second heaven, and the stars will be the fallen angels. Revelation 9 1, Genesis chapter 6. Now, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 tells us that the things that he made clearly show us the things that we can't see. And if you want an understanding of all this, do a little work in cosmology. That's a study of the universe. And you'll see the pictures that God created. They're called black hole stars. Black hole stars are stars up there that have no light, yet they're called stars. The gravity sucks in so powerfully the light that the light turns into darkness, but as it turned into darkness, it brings up the most unbelievable, enduring heat that you could ever imagine inside a black hole star. Picture of hell. People have always asked me, well, how in the world can you be in darkness in, in hell if there's fire? Because it's the fire of the black hole stars. 
it's heat without fire. Or should I say heat without light? You've loved the darkness all your life. So when you go, can you imagine being in a lake of fire? See, we can think of a lake of fire and bright all around us. And the consolation would be, hey, there's my, there's my buddy over there. We used to drink together. You could see this person or that person. I'm not saying that would be a great consolation when you're burning at 10,000 degrees. But could you imagine all of eternity being in a place where you're tortured with a fire and the burning? And I, there's even unimaginable things that I don't want to get into this morning that are tearing your body apart. And yet you're in the utter darkness, can't see anything around you. Nobody else. Who else is down there? It's your own private, little, dark hell because you wanted to live your private life in darkness while you were here. Well, God gives it to you there. The most terrifying concept you could ever imagine. Now there's a false light and there's a true light. And the Bible tells us that with this false light that he will blind people to the true light. Even God's people. 2 Corinthians 4.4 In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine through unto them. Notice it's the blinding of the mind, not the eyes. It's a blinding of the minds. And you and I are told to let this mind be in us was also in Christ Jesus. And when you don't, then your mind gets blinded. And that's why you're under the rock today instead of in the rock. He blinded the mind. And when you blind the mind, your heart will follow. Now, if you want a really good example of this, I know they always say, don't try this at home. I'm going to give you something you can try at home. If you want a really good example of this, you can try this at home. When you go home this afternoon, go into your bedroom or where your closet is, get a dark black dress, shirt, whatever, and then get a really dark blue one. Or get a red shirt or an orange shirt. If you have an orange shirt, I'm really worried about you. But go ahead and get one if you have one. Step into your bedroom with your lights on. Try to tell if that blue dress is black or if it's really black or the black dress is really black. Artificial light will not distinguish between something really dark blue and something that is black. And you'll look at them. You know what you got to do? I have to do it all the time. I, I, I get this shirt on and I'm thinking it's, 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 a, it's a black shirt, but then it's a dark blue shirt because in the artificial light of the house, it doesn't show. But the moment you take those two into the sunlight, the sunlight, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, son of righteousness, the sunlight will always show you the true color of what's black and what's dark blue. And sometimes it's life, it's just that tough. Sometimes in your life, in the artificial life of this world, you'll see situations, you'll see people, you'll see circumstances, and they're so close. It's so close that you think it's black when it's dark blue or dark blue when it's black. And I'm telling you right now, in life, you'll never know the true colors. I mean, come on. Don't we use that phrase all the time? Well, he showed his true colors. Yes, he did. 
We use that all the time. True color only becomes apparent in sunlight. And in life, the true colors of circumstances, situations, and people only show their true colors in sunlight. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. The son of righteousness. And there you'll see the true color. I mean, remember the Holy Spirit of God, when, when it does for us the four things that it does, will always show you what's of God and what is not. And it will always do it by showing you through the sunlight what is the true color. You see, the book of John is one of the most incredible books that you'll ever study. I, I'm enjoying it. Uh, you know, I, I was waiting to do it. I've always wanted to do it. I've never done it on this level. But it, now that I'm in it, I just, it just, I can't wait for, the, for next week already. I already got next week's already laid out. And I'm just looking at these things. And the stories in it are incredible. And today and in the future, and with all that we are going through, we have an example of a New Testament Christian who saw it all as it really was. He didn't let fear drive him. He didn't let a lack of faith drive him. He had on front of him all the five wisdom books of the Old Testament that's allowed him to write the five wisdom books of the New Testament. And he saw it all. Now, when he wrote the capstone of the Bible, he wrote for you and for me and sealed it forever that we should never be afraid of any circumstance that we have to face. We have to find a way through it. We may have to put up with some things that we don't like. We may have to change some things. But at the end of the day, we got to get through it. And you won't get through it under the rock. You only get through it being part of the rock. He goes through the most terrible time in man's history, the crucifixion. And it showed him what was really real and what was really phony. Roman Empire from Christianity. And it showed him who was really real. Because he went all the way and everybody else headed for the woods. And based on his relationship with that light, that was the true light. And 1 John chapter 1 verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And his understanding, his time, he goes all the way. And you find him at the cross in the most pitiful, terrible, tragic time in human history. You find him where we ought to find ourselves. At the foot of the cross. You know... It's always been, the crucifixion has always been an interest to me, probably in a way that you, you've never thought of. I mean, I understand the, the impact of it the day Christ paid for my sins, going back to the Old Testament, I get all that. But in another way that most people probably never think of, but as weird as I am, I, I see things like this and it bothers me. You see, I, I, I see in Matthew chapter 27, verse 32, when he's on the way to be crucified, at the beginning of his crucifixion, when he's on the way to Calvary, 
they throw in a man that helps him bear that cross up to the crucifixion. And that man is a picture of you and me, Simon the Cyrenian. And it's a picture of you and me in this life right now bearing that cross down the road with him. And then at the end, when he's hanging on the cross, I find another man that again is a picture of me and you. And he is John who in the midst of all of this terrible controversy, fear, agony, and uncertainty, and imminent death, he's standing at the foot of the cross. And I'm sure that Simon the Cyrenian helping bar the cross to Calvary got kicked and beat up and spit on just like Christ did because the world never sees the difference. But at the foot of the cross, you have John standing there, going all the way to the end with him. And to me, it's always kept me in check with a single question. Where am I at in all of that in my own walk with God? Am I bearing the cross as Simon did, going, all, going with him and taking all the abuse and the ridicule? But am I also willing to stand at the feet of the cross while the most traumatic time in the history of man was unfolding before him? You see, my job, and I always ask myself, did I lay that cross down someplace in the process? Some of God's people will lay it down when the road gets rough, like Simon had to carry it. And it'll get too tough for them, and they'll just lay it down and say, I can't do this anymore. But there'll be some of God's people that will go the distance, but when it comes to the most tumultuous time in the history of the world, when everything got turned upside down, they laid a cross down and says, I can't be here. And I asked myself that question. My job, the job of this church, this is why I'm putting in Operation Remnant. Because I know that there are people who legitimately want to be here today but cannot be here. And you are the exception to the rule simply because of the fact that you, uh, you have what it takes, but because of where you're at, you can't be here, and I totally get that, but I also want you to know I will never forget you and just take the ones that are here. I will create a way for you, which I'm about to do. I will create a way for your children, which I'm about to do. I will create a way for everybody in this church that wants to get to the end and stand before that cross. But at the same time, if you don't want it, it's okay with me. I have passed the point of my ministry where I'm going to chase anybody who simply doesn't want to get caught. I now, in the days that we are in, don't have time for that. You know where I'm at. You know who I am. You know where we're at. 
I'm only interested in now in the remnant. Making sure that you and I stand all the way to the end. That if Jesus comes tomorrow, we are at the foot of the cross. If Jesus comes next week, we are standing on the rock, not hiding under it. And that we understand the seriousness of our time. And I'm not taking away from that, but I'm telling you, we can't quit. There has to be some risk in what we do for Christ. They're just, and I know, this is so foreign to God's people today because you've lived your life without any risk. Your biggest tumultuous time when you came home from the office and you were withered and beat and sweating and just down in the dumps and your wife says, what happened to you today? And you say, oh, it was a terrible day. Well, what, darling? Oh, the air conditioner went out. That's where you're at. I can't speak for anybody, nor will I. But I'm telling you right now, do what you want to do with it. I'm not quitting. I'm going to be found by the grace of God at the foot when he comes back. And that's simply where I'm at with it. And I won't make that choice for you. And I won't, I won't think anything negative of you. I understand that in combat, there's some people that just can't cut it. I get it. And I know that through this tough time, we'll rise up. Oh, where do you see this remnant thing? Rise up from all of this will be a whole new crop of men and women who step into the leadership role. And that's a great thing. I am not discouraged at all. I understand the times that we live, and I've refocused every fiber of myself and my being and my mindset and my ministry to take care of those who are part of the remnant, who are part of the core. And that's where I'm at, and that's what we're going to do. I don't know how long this thing, honestly, if somebody would ask me, and I don't have all the definitive answers, I don't think we're ever going to get back to normal. I don't think it's ever going to go back the way it was. And the reason why so many of God's people can't accept where they're at and serve God is because they weren't serving God back when it was okay. And let's ask ourselves, how in the world are you going to serve God in all of this when you couldn't serve Him when it was all good? You can't. You know what we do? We do what we always do. We rise up. We reach down inside of us. We find a way to get it done. And we'll get it done. Next week, we'll continue on in John, and I can guarantee you it won't be any better than it was today. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we love you so much. Thank you for the men and women of this church that are the rocks. Uh, even though the ones that can't be here today, Lord, that, uh, that want to be, help us to help them. Help us reach out and help us to pull and band ourselves together, that we hold on to each other in this lifeboat that's tossed about on this sea of turmoil in a country that is unbelievably in anarchy where nothing is right, nothing is clear, nothing is any good. And Lord, help us to be the light that shines in this darkness. Raise up the men and raise up the women 
And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Don't remember, you guys, your names I called you. I'll read them again Thursday, but next Sunday we'll have our meeting. God bless you. Get out of here.